0: Tuesday, June the twentieth. I'm your host Ari Shapiro, and I've got three fantastic guests in our show talking about so many different subjects that's going to make your head spin. We're lucky to have with us Nick Raponi, Kirsten McKernan, and Craig Borden, all from JaysJournal.com, and we're going to have them on individually in a few short minutes. Uh, the Blue Jays continue their series with the Texas Rangers after a rather inspirational win last night, and it truly, truly was. We saw some tweets and, and media updates about the statistic, which now is 1-30. That's the Blue Jays' record after trailing through eight innings. They're 1-30 and in, in making a comeback in the ninth inning. And it's got to start somewhere. And the fact that it coincides with an opportunity to get to the 500 mark, the vaunted, almost mysterious 500 mark that no one has seen or heard of all year, Think about that. This team has not been 500 all year, so this is an important evening, and hopefully Liriano was able to bring his best stuff. Hopefully Francisco is in sync, whether it's with Mailey, whom Gibby seems to prefer partnering him with, or Martin. I'm confident the Jays will put in a strong effort this evening to try to get back to that mark, and in doing so, could even pull into a wildcard spot. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's blasphemy. Don't talk about wild card spots with 93 games left in the regular season. But know this, these games in June are important. They're just as important as the ones in August and September. And I know there's one thing that all you Blue Jays fans do not want to relive, and that is counting and remaining games in the standings that we're behind and what the team needs to do to get back to the postseason. Now, tonight's theme on the show, if you will, uh, does revolve around the minors the minor league system of the Blue Jays, in particular, the recent draft and some of the players that they've been looking at and how they've been developing their existing young players. We're going to start off with Nick Raponi. He's a writer and contributor and a minor league specialist, one of two minor league specialists we have on Jay's Journal, and he's joining us to discuss what that means exactly. What was this draft all about? I call you an aficionado, Nick. I hope you don't mind if I use that term. love it. Thank you, Ari. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Nick, let me start off by asking you, since it is a field of expertise for you to understand how this Toronto Blue Jays franchise is managing its assets and developing its short- and long-term future, I want to get your impressions, first and foremost, of this recent draft, and was there anything about it that maybe the average fan or even the mainstream media may have missed out on that differentiated this particular draft from previous ones?
1: Well, I think this year... A lot of the times when you look back, uh, not in every single case, but a lot of teams say if they're torn between two guys, they'll go with the power arm. They'll go with the pitcher who throws the best. If he throws 97, 98, touches high, high velocity, they feel, you know what, he's got the arm, we'll teach him the rest. So a lot of times, and a lot of teams did it, again, this year, but not so much with Toronto this year. Like If you look at their first, I'm looking right here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, of their first nine picks, they only had two pitchers which is really, really not all that common. A lot of teams like taking the big, projectable power arms early, and the Jays really didn't do that, which I guess is a good way to look at it, but I'm a big component of you can never have too much pitching. So if you take a lot of pitching with power arms, I'm sure you can get a few of them to turn out. Look at Stindergaard, look at Sanchez. A few of those big arms have really, really turned out for the Jays. And they kind of went away from that in this draft, but they did pick. In the first round, Nate Pearson, who's a big righty, 6'6", 245. So, yet although they are yet to sign him, he's very projectable. So they did pick one there. But I think another thing they went, they were a lot of middle infield and catcher and center field. So they went up the middle of the diamond, which if you watch a lot of baseball, I guess the middle of the diamond's key. You need a good defensive catcher. Look at Russell Martin. When he came here, he did wonders. You need a good shortstop, Troy Tulowitzki doing wonders with the glove. Second base, Joseph had a bit of issues, but I mean, Devin Travis have started to come around, unfortunately, might be done for the year now, but they've got guys in the minors who might be able to come up, they got Barney going, they have some depth there, and then at center field, they're set with Pilar defensively. So, middle of the diamond is key, especially yeah. D, and they picked two catchers early and two shortstops early, and one of those shortstops, not their first round pick, Logan Warmoth, even though he was great, I like Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, hmm. picking the fourth round, I'm a Big fan of Kevin Smith. He's born in ninety six. He, I'm, I'll pull up the stats right now. But I'm pre, he was projected a first round the whole time. He was projected in the first round, and he kept slipping. He kept slipping. He kept slipping, slipping, and because he played in the Cape Cod League, that's a wood bat league, and there's a huge difference when you're scouting when you look at uh, metal bats and wood bats. For example, my brother he plays in the NCAA, and he plays in a metal bat league, and ERAs are huge, so much higher in the metal bat league, yeah. and averages are so much higher as well. So we see a wood bat league. We see Smith. He put up a 301, 348, 427 slash line and 154 plate appearances with wood bats. So that right there, he's hitting 300 with a 350 on base and a 427 uh, slugging. That's in with wooden bats. So I love that pick there. I really, really am a big fan of Smith, even though he didn't have – that was his last year appearance, and then this year he came on, didn't have the best year. He hit 270. 323, but 552. So he improved that slugging. He hit 13 bombs and 26 double triples, extra base hits. So I feel like Kevin Smith, because he played in that Wood Bat League, I feel like he's a guy that team sh- or Jays fans should really look at because he wasn't even their first uh, shortstop taken. So that's why I think maybe there's not good. I mean, through the minors, everybody puts pressure on themselves. But when you're a fourth-round pick rather than a first-round pick, I think there's a little bit less pressure on you, especially when middle infielders have been picked ahead of you. So you're coming into the organization with a little less pressure, and I really like Kevin Smith. I thought he was a great selection. I think another guy I think they luck went big on was Colton Laws. Colton Laws is in the seventh round, a six-seven pitcher. I like Colton Laws as well. For the most part, though, I think their draft this year was better than last year, but obviously it's way, way too early to tell, just simply because they did take a lot of different positions. They went with, I think, you know what, let's not go with that. Power arm. When worst comes to worse, we'll take the power arm. Let's go with the best player available. Let's, say who in our eyes, it doesn't matter the position. We take the best player available and we develop them. Like they took two catchers, one in the second round, one in the third round. We they have Reese McGuire coming out. They have Russell Martin getting a little older, but taking two catchers that high, they just went best player available and guys that obviously have high baseball iq and baseball iq is one of the most underrated things i think in all of baseball catchers for the most part always have a high baseball iq so if you get that on the field and in your system going up you really can't go wrong in my opinion because if you have guys that know the game for the most part it's going to help you it's not going to hurt you
0: i'm speaking with nick raponi writer and contributor at jay's journal it's really interesting nick that you bring up the almost divergent philosophy that this front office seems to have compared to the Alexanthopoulos era, which is a pitching-first mentality, all those power arms that the Jays didn't draft this time around, we saw essentially being used to construct their 2015 September team. Who can forget yeah. <laughs> the, the the pitchers that were traded to acquire people needed to compete to present day, whether it was Daniel Norris, Jeff Hoffman, and of course, no Guard. So how do you feel about that? Do you think that this kind of new direction will help the Jays in the long term? Or maybe are you concerned that now the M- will be on position players and maybe trading for pitchers, knowing that that's a strength at present day.
1: Yeah, I've always been a big component of taking those arms and developing the pitching because uh, while the Jays don't play a lot of small ball right now, down the road, they may not have the same power-hitting team. We don't know what the team's going to look like down the road. So mm-hmm. I think by developing pitching, you're always going to keep yourself in games and you can always play some small ball to score some runs. That's down the road. Right now, they're a home run hitting team, power hitting team. So mm-hmm. taking guys. That's why right now, I guess they're going for best position available because their offense is stacked in the majors. And in the minors, they're pitching really. It's not too bad. You got guys like Sean Reed Foley. You got Harris, but unfortunately, both those guys are really struggling in the minors this year. But uh, yeah. I still think they're very projectable. They have a lot, and Reed Foley has proven. He has that power arm. Harris has touched 100 before. They have guys that are really, really have a lot of upside. They just have to come into their own. So I think, like you said, they have some pitching in the minors. Why not replenish the other positions? So picked up a few catchers, picked up a few middle infielders. But in all in all, to answer your question, I'm a big component of taking those pitchers. I I like Mm. power arms. I'm a big, big component. So... If you ask me right now, yeah, I am questioning the draft a little bit, but it's way, way, way too early to give the full questions because nothing's happened yet. We don't know how good these players are going to be. We don't even know if they're going to sign because the Jays' top three picks are all unsigned at this moment.
0: Interesting. And do you expect that to be a challenge for them to get all three under contract as soon as possible?
1: Um, well, they really got... I I think Hagen Danner, the catcher, he's a 98. He's born in 1998, so he's still really, really young. He could always, if he wanted, go back and try and improve his stock. But he went in the second round. He went early. He went the 61st overall player taken. So I think if the Jays can give him a decent signing bonus, he'll sign. But the other two, I have a good feeling they're going to sign. I, I don't know. It's just gut feeling, I guess. But if the Jays pay them what they're worth, then I feel like they're going to sign for sure. You never know, right? Guys will always try and if – they, if they trust themselves to, do, to go higher next year and make more money the next year, they'll go back because – there's really a win-win situation for them. If they, sure, they might get a little less signing bonus next year, but if they have confidence in themselves and have another really, really good year, then they're going to go higher and make more money. So I guess it's really a question mark right now, but I'm leaning towards yes, they're going to get them signed.
0: Very good, very good. That's fantastic analysis. Nick, where can people or what can people appreciate you have coming down the pipe in terms of articles or something that they can go ahead and learn more about your your insightful look at uh, the minor league systems of the Blue Jays?
1: Yeah, right now I'm actually working on uh, trying to make it a weekly thing. We're going to start it myself and Craig Borden, the other minor league guy. We're going to start um, kind of like a weekly who stood out, who didn't do quite as well, type of article, and I think we're each going to, one week I'm going to take the position players, Craig will take the pitching, the next week I'll take the pitching, he'll take the position players. So we're really going to break down not just how they're doing team-wise, the affiliates of the Jays, but players. For example, Bobby Shett. Everyone sees, well not everyone, but a lot of people are seeing how good Bobby Shet is. We're going to really go into detail about how good Bobby Shett really is, because the guy's batting 400. He, <laughs> 400 is, it's just one to hit 300, it's another thing to hit 330, it's not a thing to hit 350. But we should have hitting 400. So I think he's earned an article outlining what he's done, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Even though he hits 400, the guy still has weaknesses. We've watched him. He, there are some, well, he has very few flaws in his, in his swing. There are things as he gets higher up into the system and reaches the major league, they're going to considered flaws because I won't get into detail of them now, but we're going to be writing articles about them, and they'll be on Twitter, they'll be on Jay's journal. So we're really going to break down individuals in the minor leagues and what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong.
0: In a few days, we will have a roundtable. We'll look at this in greater depth with yourself, Craig Borden, and Chris Henderson joining us on the podcast for a full look at the minor league system and understanding where these draft picks are and their development. how soon, a lot of fans can appreciate them. Nick, I can't thank you enough for your time. His name is Nick Raponi. You can find him on Twitter at Nick Raponi, and he's a writer and contributor here things minor league for the jays journal thanks again for your time nick
1: thank you all right have a great day
0: speaking of justin smoke i want to get kirsten mccurden of jays journal one of our writers and contributors and ask her this question have you learned this piece of information that justin smoke is fourth in all-star voting and how do you feel about that kirsten
2: Thanks for the question. Uh, in regards to Justin Smoke and the All-Star voting currently, I did read earlier this afternoon that he mm-hmm. is currently in fourth place. If you had asked me a couple weeks ago, even a couple months uh, a month ago, I would have definitely disagreed with him being a potential candidate for the All-Star game. Um, yes, he's having a great season, but just statistically his last couple seasons and just how well he was producing at the plate – I would have said, oh, I don't think he deserves it. Um, there's no way he'll ever make it. Fast forward to 2017. He has completely, I'd say he's completely surprised every aspect that I've, <laughs> I've had of him, every opinion that I've had of him. Why um,
0: is that? How did I'll, he do that? What, what happened that turned him suddenly, it seems like overnight, into this amazing, credible power hit actually makes contact? What do you attribute that to?
2: I would say two, two reasons. Based on, um, well, first of all, his everyday playing. Last season, he wasn't our everyday first baseman. This season, he is. As a result, he's getting more at-bats. And he doesn't have to constantly look over his shoulder. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to worry about, is my name on the board? He can actually sit and relax. The second reason, I think he's, he's playing a lot better is because um, earlier in spring training, I remember um, writing a piece about him and quoting him as him saying that he was trying to approach the plate with a different mindset. in 2017. He said that he was working with the hitting coach, with Jacoby. He needed to mm-hmm. fix part of his swing. He said that it was considered loose and he was fixated on just trying to make that better. Because of those two reasons, I look at his statistics this season and I'm absolutely blown away. The fact that he hit his 20th home run uh, yesterday, that's his, he tied his career high from four years ago. That's absolutely impressive. Um, And the fact is, he's only done that in 67 games. He still has half the season to go, so I think he's definitely going to break that record.
0: I I don't think there's um, much doubting that, really, especially considering that the way that he's approached the pitches this year, especially off-speed pitches, curveballs, that usually would be guaranteed strikeouts. His strikeout ratio has obviously changed. He's taking more walks, getting more opportunities. And I think your point about playing time is really crucial. I mean, going back to his Seattle days when he was an up and coming league, I don't think he ever Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to play a full season, 130, 140 games. So I guess what you're saying is you give the man a chance, Sometimes you get surprised in life. We don't always have to be cynical that they'll just turn out to be a, quote, wasted or utility signing.
2: Definitely. Well, and I think some athletes are just better at being able to jump off the bench, grab a bat, and hit home runs. Hmm. And the Jays tried that last season with Smoke and the season before, and, yes, he was decent at it. But was he the clutch hitter that we all expected and all the hype about? And we really hyped him last season as that, as being the clutch. He just needs to put on his batting helmet, come out, and he'll hit home runs. And he didn't. And as a result, I think um, myself included, we or I jumped on the bandwagon to kind of cut him, especially when the $8 million contract was signed last season for the additional two years.
0: That's amazing. We're getting a mea culpa of sorts, but a good one, the kind that you want to make when you realize a player is starting to show promise and and realizing his potential. We're speaking with Kirsten McKernan. She's a writer and contributor at Jay's Journal. So, Kirsten, I want to get your opinion now moving forward. Um, You, of course, provide Jay's Journal with a great deal of recaps and analysis of games after the fact. So you've got your pulse on how the Blue Jays have been doing, especially in the last few weeks. And, of course, they haven't been pretty. There have been some series that have uh, left some heart palpitations in places it shouldn't be for fans and others very crestfallen that the Blue Jays can't seem to string together that consistency. What's going to happen tonight? Will they reach 500? And what are your expectations over the next few days as they continue to battle the Rangers in Kansas City before coming home to a big, big, big portion of the schedule in July?
2: Those are very <laughs> good questions, making me think. Um but in regards to tonight, I'm actually quite confident um, because we have, I believe, Lariano taking the mound. Yeah. And uh, he's, you know, great left, uh, left-handed pitcher, great starter for us. Um, of course, you know, our starters have struggled here and there. Um, but overall, since he's been back from the DL, it's been pretty consistent. We play very well against Texas. I think that that is still going to happen today. If we look at yesterday, we blew a four-run lead um, with Estrada on the mound, and we were able to come back in the ninth inning. I just believe that the bats slowly are coming around. You have smoke you know, hitting bombs. You have Steve Pearce, who just came off the DL, who has been absolutely on fire. And so I think as long as he's back in the lineup tonight, um, I, I have um, high hopes and very confident that uh, they'll win today finally get to 500 the next three weeks i believe will be the make or break for us do i believe that um, we have the potential and that we can be contender in the al east i do i still believe that we do have the roster the athletes that can take us there um yes we have a lot of injuries but i rather that that happen in april may and june than it happens in august and september this year
0: well, you heard it here officially from Kirsten McKernan at Jay's Journal. You can follow her on Twitter at KMAC and Baseball and find her great, yeah. great daily recaps and upcoming articles on jaysjournal.com. Kirsten, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Perfect. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated.
0: So we're talking a lot about the minors on this show, and I've already brought on one expert from Jay's Journal, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring the man who inspired me to go back and look at the last 40 years of drafting, of course, I'm talking about Mr. Craig Borden of Jay's Journal. He is our minor league specialist. Craig, thanks for joining the show today. Pleasure to be here as always, Ari. Uh, A question that I think that you are one of the people out there who might want to tackle. And and I, I keep in mind that it's a very political question, because I look at the regime. I look at what Shapiro and Atkins are doing in the front office, and I'm wondering their game plan is with pitching. Nick talked about how they've kind of stepped away from putting up on power arms and going to positional players. Do you have confidence in this organization that they'll be able to restore the fans' perception of what it means to invest properly in a minor league system and get value from it when you struggle with injuries the way they have this year?
3: I think they're on the right path on that one, Ari. As far as things go, they've for the first time in a while, we have a few great players that are going to be phenoms at the MLB level. Um Bo Bichette is rapidly becoming the number one prospect on this um, for this system, and Rayda is healed as Vladimir Guerrero junior, and everybody has heard of him and what he can do already. I uh, was sitting and watching in awe last night, watching him do the home run derby for the Midwest League, and he was just popping them off like he was just taking batting practice. They were going out and I think the one clip I saw was 23, 23 30 seconds long, and he had already hit seven home runs out in that time. So amazing amounts of power. And like I said, as far as things go, those guys might be a lot closer. than a lot of people think if they're going to keep doing that kind of stuff at their level, it would be really surprising to me to not see the two of them somewhere in the ballpark at getting into the A level next year. But there's pl- for every one of those guys, there's another guy like Bradley Jones that was a college pick. You got him. that He was really, really good at the beginning of the season with Lansing Lugnuts, and he's since struggled a little bit. I think he just finally got his challenge that he needs to figure out how to get back into it, or he is in a slump one way or the other. But he is now with the Dean D- Blue Jays, who have also been slumping as a team, too. So that might be just unfortunately rubbing off on his uh, good start and people need to start getting excited about some of these guys because unlike previous regimes, like I think you were going, they are looking to actually use these guys. I would say a lot of these guys are untouchable, where in the fast past few years and a couple other regime changes later, you know, everything uh, seemed like it might have been open for negotiation at that point. I think we actually do have truly untouchable prospects in our system these days.
0: That, that's an interesting statement because... I think that's a novelty, Craig, around these parts, especially now that we see what's happening with the hockey team and how fans are placing value on drafting talent and then having it materialize on the big club, knowing that there's an investment from day one. I think after the Anthopolis era ended, we realized that that might might be required for us to look at again if there's any hope for developing the future. Do you look at it with the same level of optimism now that we have a new front office in charge that's handling the draft assets? Do you expect it to be maybe something that fans shouldn't despair about after the, the incredible house cleaning that took place with all the assets in order to acquire David Price and Troy Tillewithki?
3: At this point, until I'm proven otherwise, at least there are. are so um, the uh, Blue Jays organization looks like they're playing it very safe with bringing these kids through the organization. So that kind of leads me to believe that they're trying to prepare them to be the best, well, talent that they can be at the major league level. Um, Some of the stuff you saw in the Anthopolis era even, and he's known for being one of the better drafters that we've had, um, that he was kind of rushing people through the system to a point. Obviously there was some great fruit that came from that one, but as far as there were some failures too, um, the biggest one I can come to think of right off the top of my head was Miguel Castro was a high-end prospect for us and ended up turning into part of the Troy 2 trade. And we kind of rushed him right to the majors just to kind of showcase his arm. And then next thing you know, he's barely even our thought almost these days with the uh, Rockies already. So hmm. how much of these guys are flashes in the pan back when that they were just trying to say, hey, look at this guy, and then you know they trade him off. I don't feel like they're trying to push people through the system like they used to to get them to showcase. Roddy Telez spent a whole year with the new the New Hampshire Fisher Cats last season and he looks like he's gonna be spending one year with this uh with the Buffalo Bisons regardless of the fact that he's been having a slumpish year, but there's just as many examples of that throughout the system that they're happy leaving people at the one level even if it is for a whole season, just to make sure that they get their at-bats and grind everything out.
0: We're speaking with Craig Borden, the minor league specialist at Jay's Journal, a writer and contributor with some really fantastic ideas here. Now, Craig, let me ask you this question. Do you have a favorite minor league prospect that maybe you'd like to see make it a little faster than some of the others, just so you can really evaluate whether they can handle the major league game? (laughs)
3: Well, I would love to see Vladimir and uh, Boba Shett get their next chance. Um, I honestly think they just need whatever challenge they can get thrown in their direction. Um, The guy I'm looking forward to, um, a lot of Blue Jays fans have forgotten about, though. Max Pentecost has still been crushing the ball at the plate. I honestly think the thing that's been slowing his development down is the fact that he's really hasn't had his normal position available he was drafted as a catcher he's been fighting plenty of injuries but his bat has been nothing but a plus the whole time and he crushed it with lansing Lugnuts. he's still hitting the ball really really hard with the dean blue jays he is in a uh, day-to-day situation right now as far as things go but i think um it's getting to that point where hey if he's performing with the bat put him at first base and see if he sticks in the double a level and see if we can challenge him the guy's batting 300 consistently, and he's due for something that is going to possibly make or break him, you know?
0: So, Craig, are you more partial to position players being given that chance sooner rather than pitchers? Are you more of a uh, traditionalist who believes that with a pitcher you don't want to rush them, specifically as you mentioned in the Miguel Castro example a few years ago, whereas with a position player you're maybe saying to yourself, let's see what they can do in the event that maybe they have the maturity to handle it. Don't waste another year in AAA.
3: Those are the kind of things that um, I've been seeing as far as the system in general. Connor Green has been having a stellar season with the Fisher-Cats in AA, and they have looked very reluctant to bring him up to give him that AAA shot. I honestly think that would be a smart move, seeing he did have his struggles early on. He's been kind of bouncing all over the place with his control, but he's still been a great, solid Uh, pitcher as far as things go he's been getting people out he's been getting plenty of ground balls our uh old editor keegan matheson still praises him on uh twitter for how many ground balls he gets every time he's pitching so (laughs) i gotta always see that on there but um then you got the other right there in uh new hampshire the flip side of that coin that maybe sean reed foley maybe would have been you know, better off being left in Dunedin to start the season to at least make sure he was comfortable before getting thrown into it. He has played better in his last few starts, but uh, he had a really rough start to getting going to in the Double A level, so where he was lights out at the end of the season with the Single A Dunedin
0: Blue Jays. Uh, Craig, mm-hmm. before I let you know? Oh. Tell me what uh, what fans and listeners should uh, take a look at on the jaysjournal.com website in terms of your work. What are you working on, and what have you got coming down the pipe for readers? Well, it's
3: a good thing we've been talking about some of these uh, what-if statements as far as where everybody is in the minor league system because this, the uh, article I've been piecing together short, while doing all the recaps lately has been, hey, these are the guys that are on the cusp of going from The minor leagues to the majors these are the guys that are your you better know these guys but they might not have gotten the most you know press out of everybody and then just kind of going through some of the levels as far as things go just so we can call out some of these names for uh players that maybe everybody doesn't know about because they didn't maybe make the top prospect list but maybe they should have been or were maybe closer to being there than a lot of people would have thought So that's the idea, anyways, to get more of these
0: names out. And, of course, fans can always find you on Twitter at Craigers1221. Craig, thanks for your time this afternoon.
3: Pleasure as always, Ari. Thanks for having me.